Hard Work, Goodwill, A Journey of Peace, Perseverance, and Redemption by Jerry Lundergan. My name is Michael Santos with Resilient Digital Publishing. I will be reading this book from cover to cover. Please visit hardworkgoodwill.com for your free copy. So now we're covering chapter six, where Jerry showed us how he looks into the future to prepare. Now, when we have the right attitude toward improving our skills and knowledge, investing time, effort, and resources doesn't feel like drudgery. It's energizing. We can stay mentally engaged long after our supposed work shift ends. That extra effort helps us overcome a challenge, change a situation, advance our careers, or do anything worthwhile. We are the CEO of our life. For that reason, we must devote ourselves to figuring out what we can do better. Learn from studying, reading trade magazines, books, or watching business trends that may influence what we're doing. That personal investment leads to a better vision of the future, an aspiration of what we can become. With Lundy's Catering, we were in the food and hospitality business. As the leader of Lundy's, I made a 100% commitment to delivering positive customer experiences. Providing exceptional service meant I had to invest time and energy to learn more. I wanted to know what techniques were working in other parts of the country. Investing in business development felt like another way to pursue excellence. We aspired to be the best in the world at catering. That would be the only way for us to continue growing, serving clients that included U.S. presidential inaugurations, professional sporting events, major corporations, and even the U.S. Olympics. Our aspiration to be the best fueled our commitment to self-improvement. Each investment we made to get better was like nurturing our seeds, furthering our commitment to success. Any of us can invest time, energy, and resources to become better. When confronted with the option of watching a sitcom or reading a book that will bring higher levels of skill and knowledge, our commitment to success should guide our decisions. Advancing from one stage in life to another requires us to understand the importance of looking ahead, of visualizing what's important. Wayne Gretzky, one of the most well-known hockey players of all time, is famous for having said, I skate to where the puck is going, not where it has been. You already know where you have been, but where are you going? What steps do you have to take to get there? Those are the kinds of questions that can put us on the path to a better journey. In our quest for continued business growth and improvement, my brothers joined Charlotte and me for routine trips to visit trade shows or event planning conferences. Often, those trips brought us to the glittering city of Las Vegas. Each time we visited, I felt inspired by the story of how Las Vegas evolved from a plot of land in the middle of the desert into a metropolis, attracting millions of visitors from all around the world. It is a story of vision, of leaders seeing prosperity where others saw only sand. Numerous historians have written books that document the origins of Las Vegas. In the 1940s, a mobster from the East Coast, Bugsy Siegel, believed that there would be a huge demand for entertainment. People wanted a place to have fun and unwind, Bugsy thought. But no such place existed for dreamers to get away and enjoy the nightlife. He tried to solve that problem. His quest to provide a solution led him out west. As the story holds, while driving along the highway now known as I-15, deep in the Mojave Desert, 
Bugsy had the vision to build a city in the desert. He'd never designed a city before. He simply had a dream. Millions of people drove along that same highway and they saw endless horizons of sand. But Bugsy was not blinded by the desert sun. Instead, he visualized a new city that he could create specifically to provide entertainment. Then he worked to create a story so that others could see the same vision. He spoke with his associate, Meyer Lansky, another East Coast gangster. Bugsy got Meyer to see the same dream. He persuaded Meyer to invest with him. Through their criminal connections and enterprisings, they raised enough capital to hire architects, to secure building permits, and to pay contractors that would build an expensive resort. After they built the Flamingo Hotel, they invited Hollywood celebrities and entertainers from across the country to perform. Millions of people began flocking to the city, and billions of dollars started flowing into businesses they created, allowing more people to build upon what they started. Their initial vision led to more posh hotels, including the Sahara, the Sands, the Sands and the Riviera. Later, other visionaries like Steve Wynn started to build mega-resorts like the Mirage, the Bellagio, and the MGM. Las Vegas began like any other desert community, with sand as far as the eye could see. Now, it is a glitter of lights and entertainment, attracting more than 40 million visitors from around the world every year. So what lessons can we learn from this story of building Las Vegas? I'll tell you what I learned. The story reveals the pattern of solving problems. First, we need to define success. Then, we need a plan. Then, we must set priorities. And finally, we have to act or execute the plan. So here was the problem that Bugsy Siegel saw. He believed that people wanted a dedicated place for entertainment that didn't exist. Vision. He envisioned an entirely new city, a glamorous oasis built on sand that would become an entertainment mecca. Plan. He convinced his associate, Meyer Lansky, that if they built an initial hotel, more financial capital would flow into Las Vegas and they could leverage their success. Priority. They raised the initial capital that led to hiring architects, buying business building permits, paying building contractors, furnishing the hotels, marketing the project, and operating the business, and then executing. They made a commitment and adhered to the plan every day until they converted their vision into a reality. Law enforcement officers may have construed the vision of Bugsy Siegel and Meyer Lansky as a criminal conspiracy. After all, many law enforcement and media reports tell us that profits from organized crime provided the capital to build Las Vegas. The lesson here is in the result, not in whether they complied with the law or in other areas of their life. Bugsy Siegel and Meyer Lansky wanted to solve a problem. They visualized a solution. They created a plan. They put priorities in place and they executed the plan every day to get the results they wanted. We see these lessons on the importance of executing plans all around us. When leaders set out to solve problems, they create plans and prioritize actions to get the solution they want. If they don't act or complete tasks in the right order, they never get the outcome they envisioned. When laying out plans to build a city in the desert, 
Bugsy Siegel and Meyer Lancy succeeded because they completed specific tasks in specific timelines. They hired the right people to finish the right jobs at the right time. Since going through those initial challenges when I took over my dad's deli and concession stand business, I have learned a great deal. Success requires a systematic, deliberate, persistent pursuit of our aspirations. We must be willing to accept rejection along the way, growing through the manure. And we must continue advancing toward our ambitions with a 100% commitment to success, keeping our eyes open for opportunities to leverage our previous accomplishments. Leaders from all walks of life offer lessons on the patterns that lead to success. We may never meet those leaders, and we may not always identify with the values by which they live. People like Meyer Lansky and Bugsy Siegel didn't share my values, but that didn't mean I couldn't learn from reading about their story. I admired that they saw an opportunity in the desert. More than seeing, they created a plan. They set priorities, and they worked. They converted their dreams into reality. That's what made them leaders. They knew how to get things done. So now comes the question, how do we see our future? Every step we take should be a part of a plan and each step should stay true to the priorities we have identified. But the stress that comes from living in difficulty may block us from making the connection between how today's actions put us in the position to open new opportunities. I am familiar with an old saying, you have to crawl before you can walk. The saying implies that we have to master essential skill, then we advance to more complex skills. Incremental steps can open opportunities to build a brighter future in the days to come. If we follow the necessary order of growth and development, we are more likely to make progress. By first learning how to crawl, we then learn how to walk. Then we learn how to run. Follow the natural order of things and master each process along the way will lead to new opportunities for independence and personal growth. Anyone could apply that metaphor to their career. I started to crawl in business when my father passed away. When I tried to run too soon, I fell. I continued to crawl for a little while longer and eventually I could stand. I learned to walk while working with Congressman Breckenridge. Once I got stronger, I started an ice cream delivery company. Those experiences helped our family build Lundy's Catering into a best-in-class company that served our customers well. I have always been an entrepreneur and self-motivated person, often juggling many different projects at once. And that's why I always kept my mind on new horizons. With the success of Lundy's, our family business thrived. Those who knew us when we started would have never predicted that we could grow to become such a well-organized operation. Through the process of serving millions of meals for customers from coast to coast, we accumulated considerable amounts of capital equipment. We had dozens of semi-trailers that we stocked with catering equipment, tents, tables, chairs, china, glassware, linen, and everything we would need to host massive events to serve thousands of people. We had a corresponding fleet of 18-wheeler semi-trucks that could haul our equipment anywhere in the United States. 
As a unique service, we sometimes fielded calls from customers that we wouldn't have expected. One time, I took a call from a leading contractor in Tennessee. While working on a significant project with specific deadlines in a remote area, the contractor faced some challenges. Workers for the food and hospitality group that agreed to service his workers went on strike. The contractor asked if Lundy's Catering could help out by filling in to provide food and beverage services to the workers. I visited the worksite in Tennessee to assess the situation. With the work stoppage, fines were piling up and the contractor had to bring in immediate relief. People were installing tents and outfitting them with cots. Our contractors were bringing portable bathrooms and laundry facilities. They wanted us to provide food and beverage services for hundreds of workers. While assessing the problem, I sensed an opportunity. We might be able to retool and rebuild in the way of providing turnkey solutions to accommodate immediate hospitality needs. We accepted the job of providing food and beverage services as required by the contractor on the Tennessee project. But dealing with work stoppages, it wasn't really my thing. As a blue collar worker, I've always supported the unions, the working people and family values. The more time I spent at the job site, the more I began to realize that an opportunity existed. I just didn't want to build a business around work stoppages. We wouldn't have been able to think about taking on new businesses when we started Lundy's back in the 1970s, but things had changed since then. When the Tennessee job fell into our lap in the late 1980s, our company was well capitalized. We had already succeeded in serving several million meals in some of the biggest venues ever. As a result of our experience and strength, we could seize opportunities that would not have been available to us earlier. That's another example of the spinning disc that Jim Collins wrote about in his book, Good to Great. It is very tough to get going. Yet once we get momentum, we have got to keep pushing forward, applying energy to move closer toward our goals. For someone starting in an entry-level job, the workload may be hard and dirty. The pay may be low. The role may require long hours. All of that work is an example of growing through the muck. It positions us for new and better opportunities. When those opportunities present themselves, we have got to be aware and ready to act. Wanting to try something new, I assessed the resources we had. As mentioned before, our equipment included trucks, trailers, and kitchen equipment. Our team outfitted our trailers in spotless stainless steel. While inside the containers, they resembled commercial kitchens. Dishwashers, stoves, ovens, pots, pans, deep fryers, walk-in refrigeration, and freezer systems and utensils all had their place. Our team maintained everything in immaculate condition with daily inspections. I thought about the type of customer that would genuinely benefit from a service that provided a turnkey solution for hospitality needs. Although I didn't want to service work stoppage strike problems, I knew there would be something to it. I just had to find the right customer. Then the new idea dawned on me. A utility company could benefit from this type of service. When a flood, tornado, fire, hurricane, or natural disaster struck a community, those utility companies would be in the same position as that contractor.
They would need immediate services to accommodate workers so they could come and restore order. During a crisis, prices for emergency services skyrocket. Anyone bracing for a storm recognizes that prices go up for supplies when the forecast comes in. Utility companies would have a responsibility to have hundreds of crews in the field, restoring power and services to entire communities. They were privately held companies, but beholden to the municipalities that they served. I had an idea of giving them a solution, a turnkey solution. It didn't matter that I didn't have a single customer or a prospect. I formed emergency disaster services, believing that I could solve a problem. Our team painted one of our tractor trailers bright red. My family thought I was nuts, but I had a vision, and I intended to create something new. We already had all of the kitchen equipment. By modifying a few other trailers, we could still install beds, laundry services, and bathroom facilities. We created an entirely new concept, a portable city on wheels. We'd offer utility companies a one-stop shop, assuring them that we would be able to provide turnkey services to get their crews up and running within hours of a natural disaster. Rather than building a city in the desert, as Bugsy and Meyer had done, I intended to construct portable cities to help communities in need. After flashing out the idea, we started making cold calls to utility companies. Our daughters helped. We'd each pick a state or an area. Then we would begin to dial phone numbers, trying to connect with the decision maker. If we could find the contact that oversaw emergency services, we felt as if we could offer a real value proposition. As a privately held and tightly regulated company, utility services are somewhat secretive about their operations. Every time I got rejected or shut down, I'd make a note, noting that every no got me one step closer to a yes. After 20 or 30 rejections, I finally connected with Rod Alsap of Florida Power and Light. For years, Rod served as the Emergency Preparedness Logistics Manager. Our phone call shared a common bond. As Rod grew up in Kentucky, that gave us something that led to a friendship. And Rod taught me everything I needed to know about how to do business with utility companies. Conversations with Rod confirmed what I suspected. Once a storm hit, the utility companies would pay any price to get temporary services up and running for the communities they served. The companies that provided those services gouged them on pricing. But as a result of the conversations I had with Rod, we were able to create a model that would offer a utility company a guaranteed fixed price every year, provided that they sign a contract with our company. If they signed an agreement ensuring that they would use our services in the event of an emergency, we would provide them with a fixed price for turnkey services when they called. And over the next 20 years, by following our same game plan of defining success, setting goals, making a 100% commitment to success, we have grown emergency disaster services and created an entirely new industry. We work with utility companies from coast to coast, providing contingency planning services as well as on-demand support services at a guaranteed price. 
Through this company, we have provided disaster relief services to more than 32 significant storm experiences, providing more than 1,000 jobs and serving approximately 1 million meals. Within hours, we can have facilities set up to accommodate 7,000 workers in mobile sleepers and another 10,000 workers in tents with cots. Besides mobile kitchens, we provide trailers complete with shower facilities, laundry trailers, temporary generated power, light towers, recreational outlets, and even fuel. Workers can get a good night's sleep. While they're resting, our team will fuel their trucks. They can wake to a hearty breakfast in our cafeteria. They can use our clean showers. Our team will happily do their laundry services as well. When they leave for the day's work, we'll have a box lunch ready for them. And after work, they can return to our cafeteria for a hot meal. Our hard-working crews maintain the living quarters, the bathroom facilities, and the kitchen to the highest standards of cleanliness. When we built emergency disaster services, we were taking a calculated risk. I believed that a need existed and I had the experience to assess the viability of a new opportunity. Unlike the time when I tried to do too much too soon after my father passed, I was strong enough to invest the time, the energy, and the resources to try something new. We were speculating, believing that a storm would come. And when the storm came, we would be ready. So would our customers. Those that want to overcome challenges may want to think far beyond what exists today. Each of us is responsible for creating our vision. If we don't like where we are today, what seeds can we plant that will open opportunities in our future? No one should make a more significant investment in our future than we are willing to make. But if we make that investment, we will position ourselves to seize new opportunities that we can't even comprehend today. As always, questions should guide our decision. Here's a couple of questions to consider. If I am not going to change my life, who is going to change it for me? If I don't make a change now, well, when should I make it? What can I create for myself in the years or decades ahead? What resources are available to me to put me in a better position to seize new opportunities? What have I done during the last week to show my commitment to grow stronger? Those are the kinds of questions that helped guide my decisions. We all need to think about the responses we give to such questions. I am convinced that this exercise of asking questions and thinking about responses helps us to develop confidence and a vision for our future. We must train to be well-organized, deliberate, and persistent in our pursuits. Now, I want to throw a simple postscript to that chapter because I know that Jerry Lundergren and his team at Emergency Disaster Services is now serving our nation during this COVID-19 pandemic. He is working to help more communities get back on their feet by building portable hospitals for thousands and thousands of people. And that's why he is a model of leadership. We all can learn from Jerry Lundergan. And if you want to get a copy of this book for free, please visit hardworkandgoodwill.com. Now we're going to turn to the next chapter, chapter seven, where we will learn about Jerry's persistent action.
action steps that he always takes to succeed.